The teaching for this evening comes from 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 7. This is God's word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan to flame the gifts of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. I'm very excited to be here and to get to study God's word with you guys and to preach for the first time since coming, moving to Birmingham and um, being a part of Red Mountain Church. Um, I know most of you know me. For those of you who don't, my name is Matt Clegg. I'm the pastoral resident here. Since Will is gone, then I get the opportunity to be here and fill in and to um, preach the word. I want to give you a little bit of an overview of why we're looking at this book of 2 Timothy. Um, kind of what, what I'm doing right now as part of this residency at Red Mountain Church is having just gradu- graduated from seminary and pursuing ordination. One of the things our denomination has candidates do is do a year internship where they get experience in in, um, mentoring and a time of preparation before the official laying on of hands and commissioning to be a teaching pastor in our denomination. So that's partially what I am um, doing this year. And this book was very relevant because 2 Timothy is a very personal letter from Paul to his um, companion and younger assistant, Timothy. And Paul is now, when he's writing this in prison and likely near death, um, coming at the very end of his career. And so what he's doing here is he's writing this very personal letter to Timothy, encouraging him to carry on the work that Paul has done and to pass it on to him um, and to encourage him to um, perseverance in his calling. And so it it was a relevant book now for me to study through during this year, and so I'm excited to be able to preach through it. And whenever I do preach through here, with a few exceptions, then we're just going to go all the way through this book, hopefully. So, but in addition to that, all that aside, I'm also excited because of the subject matter that this book will end up addressing, and that it speaks a lot about resistance to the gospel, and particularly the resistance that comes in his face in the in the Christian life. Um, and that's something that it's funny how it happens often, even when I preach before, that the subject matter ends up being very relevant. Because so I know some of you know that our move down here was a little bit of a long and winding road that was full of a lot of resistance. So when we, we were brought in here by, by Red Mountain, then we packed up all of our stuff, and it just so happened that, you know, the time that we were moving was a time when, in St. Louis, where our stuff was, when all of my moving help was in class. So I had a few faithful helpers, and, but did a lot of, took a lot of effort to get everything in the truck. On the way down here, 
the truck decided to stop going just shy of Nashville and fast forward 24 hours on the road again coming down here and show up and then there are again problems with their house and we have to find, go into another plan B. So that's like resistance. And it's funny how it works when you know, we encounter things that when we're trying to get somewhere, we have a goal in the beginning, there's a little bit of resistance and we think, you know, I've got this, I'm going to be an example of what it looks like to persevere through the resistance and then a little bit more resistance comes and our attitude changes a little bit and it's more like, I think I can survive through this and then a little bit more comes and there's always that threshold where there's just enough to where we think that going outside tomorrow in this dark world is going to be too much of a step to undertake. And that's just, as human beings, this is our natural response to resistance whenever um, we have resistance to our goals and where we want to go. It's not our natural response to persevere given enough resistance. And there are lots of ways in the Christian life um, that this is the case. I'm not sure where everybody is coming from in here this evening, but you know, a lot of us have... You know, deep feelings of personal inadequacies um, in ourselves and that we don't feel gifted enough or we feel that our situation is so heavy or the hardships or the responsibilities that we're under that any kind of thought towards faithfulness to God seems like an extra step too much. And then there are other of us that, you know, other situations where we, um, you know, we might want to pursue social change or we might... Um, work very hard in our vocations and want to see fruit, and it just seems like the resistance is everywhere, that uh, the problems are too deep, and everything is futile, um, and that there's no fruit to the labors that we get. So, I mean, these are the kind of situations that we face coming in here. And, and in this book, in Second Timothy, then Timothy is in a situation where there is an awful lot of resistance on him um, in his calling right now. He is... We know from Acts 16 that he is a very well-respected guy in his community, and Paul particularly wanted him to join him in ministry. So he's a very capable guy, and he's not a slacker by any means. However, there's been constant opposition to his message. We know in Acts 17 that um, Paul and Silas and Timothy were ministering in Berea, and some Judaizers from Thessalonica came and started stirring up trouble to the point that there was a riot that Paul had to leave town. And Paul left Timothy and Silas there to deal with this situation. You know, thanks, Paul. So Timothy's been around the block. He's done a lot of things. He was sent to the church in Corinth, we know from 1 Corinthians 4, uh, to confront them. And that church was a mess. You know, not an easy place to go in. Um, it's a, a difficult job to do. And now he's, we know from the rest of this letter and from 1 Timothy that he's faced with a lot of false teaching, um, a lot of conflict stirring up, and a lot of waves, waves from the culture that are pulling people into lifestyles that would be, would be contrary to the gospel. And then we have this really, it's a really a neat passage from Paul. Paul writes to encourage him in some very particular things I think that are meaningful, that will be meaningful to us. Um, But I want to look that, so it's in the middle of this situation, he says, if you'll look down here in verse 6, he says, as Timothy is facing all of these things, he says, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So he says, 
in the middle of all this resistance than to fan the flame and persevere that, you know, to make the little flames bigger um, and carry out your calling with perseverance. Now, how in the world, in this kind of situation, do we do that? Especially when the resistance is the level that, you know, the resistance is like the water that just pours on the flames and the flames don't grow in that situation that they just put out. So how does, how does Paul encourage Timothy do that? And in light of that, how can we be encouraged ourselves in the resistance that we have in our own lives? And there are going to be three particular reasons here that we're going to see. And they are first, Paul is going to talk about some outward resources, and then some inward resources, and then what I call upward resources, which we will get to at the end. Um, so look with me. If you got your Bibles or it's printed in, the, um, in your worship folder, the text, I first want to draw your attention here to verses 3 through 6, and let's look and see what, um, how Paul encourages Timothy. I want you to pay attention. He said he uses some form of the word remember four times. I want you to listen for it. He says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may fill with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you. So that's three times for Paul, and then a fourth time he turns on Timothy and says, For this reason I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God that is in you. So what Paul's doing here is he's ma- he is modeling for Timothy a posture of remembrance in the middle of resistance that he then turns on Timothy and asks him to do the same as well. And he does this. The things that he calls him to remember are these. At first... He remembers Timothy in verse 3 and with thanksgiving as his ancestors did. And what does this mean, as my ancestors? Who is Paul referring to? I mean, we know that Paul was a Jew uh, from the tribe of Benjamin. But I think this is, ref- this is reflecting even further back than just Paul's immediate heritage. What Paul's doing here for Timothy is he's lining up this work in the gospel with the God that has been with his people ever since the beginning. So this will be the, the people of Israel and God's people from the beginning of time all the way up to Timothy, that Paul is reminding him that um, this is so, that this is the same God that they served then and that Timothy is serving now. So that's a big uh, point in history, that in the history of God's work that he calls him to remember. And then again, if you'll look um, in this curious verse in verse 5, where he's, Paul says he's reminded of Timothy's faith, and then he starts talking about his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. And now how are they relevant? So Paul is, Paul is looking at Timothy and he's turning his eyes and saying, Here, look at your mother and your grandmother, that this faith um, dwelt in them ever since you were young and through your own upbringing. And so what he's doing is, it's not that um, it is necessary to have a Christian family in order to be confident of one's faith. And he's not saying that having a Christian heritage or a Christian family is a guarantee that somebody will have faith. But what he is doing is he's turning Timothy's eyes to look at people that he knows very dearly that the Lord has been at work in for Timothy's whole life. And so he's pointing his eyes not to away from the, the situation that Timothy is in 
and towards the work that God is doing in the people around Timothy. And he goes on from there in, in, in more instances where he says, even Paul himself, he says I re, in verse 5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Well, before that in verse 4, he says, I remember your tears as I'm longing to see you, reflecting that he knows Timothy's, he knows Timothy very deeply, um, has been through many, many situations and times with him, probably referring to a difficult parting um, between the two of them now. And then he says in verse 5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith that dwelt in your mother and grandmother. And he says, and I am convinced now dwells in you as well. I want us to think about what, you know, Timothy is somebody who was Paul's particular assistant that Paul called and is carrying on this um, very burdensome and, and great work of the gospel. And for some reason, Paul thought that Timothy needed to hear that Paul was convinced that real faith dwelt in Timothy. And I think that's encouraging for me, even times I'm wondering, you know, we wonder that what the heck is going on? What is wrong with me? Is there even faith with me in me in the first place? And that this is not saying that Timothy necessarily thought he didn't have faith, but it is reflecting for us that it's that human situation is that natural human tendency, again, under resistance, that our faith becomes squelched. And our confidence in ourselves and who we are in Christ tends to go down. So that's, again, Paul himself. And then finally, even the laying on of hands, he turns Timothy's mind towards the work of the church that Paul has pointed and he's commissioned Timothy. So that's four different things that he reminds Timothy, um, that he reminds him of. And why is this important? It's... You know, none of these are, is, are intended to be an airtight argument of proof that here's the Lord at work. Um, you can prove it now. But what he's doing is, is, I think we know this in ourselves, is that whenever we hit these times of resistance and times of difficulty, then it is our tendency for our eyes to turn in on ourselves and our world becomes only as big as the situation that we're immediately in. So all of our thoughts, all of our reasoning, they're turned towards my own situation and the hardships and our own hardships. And so, um, you know, any thought broader about what God is doing becomes very small and it becomes hard to think clearly. And so what Paul is doing with Timothy is he simply, he's calling his eyes out of himself and looking around and reminding him, look, God is at work. He has been at work in history and he is at work all around you in the church and in, in the people that, you, he, that, um, that he has been surrounded with. And that's the same for us. You know, I remember while we were in seminary, in seminary then there was a time when Lauren and I were in, a, in a, just a difficult time. We felt like we were just working hard and spinning our wheels and that, you know, wondering what is God up to with us. He just seems like he's gone. He's, you know, he doesn't exist. And then we... We met some friends that came the year after us, and they were telling us their story, and it was a really dramatic, like, example where the Lord had plucked them up out of, you know, the situation is completely opposed to God in a pretty spectacular way. He drew them and called them to himself all in one moment. And it was like kind of a wake-up call. We remember that, I mean, just a reminder that, with us, it seems like us in our situation, there's nothing going on here on God's side. On God's side, however, that God is at work in the people all around us. So it's pulling our eyes outwards. And beyond that, if it's, 
If it's not that, then just the history that God has had with his people forever. He's been at work since the beginning of time, and he has preserved his people until now. And this is the same God that is with us here. So these are outward resources that Paul is reminding Timothy to look to, to look out of himself, and to incorporate for himself inside what he sees to be the case outside of him. So what does this look like? So we might accept that and say, okay, that's all well and good to kind of create this climate where I'm I'm pulled out of being stuck in my own situation and looking outside of myself to these other resources, but what is that supposed to look like in me? Um, And if we read on, then we get, then Paul answers this question specifically. Look in verse 6. He says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now, I don't know how this strikes you when you read that. When I first read this, then I thought, that is an odd pairing of attributes put together in one place. I mean, we think that power, I like that, that's exciting, love, that's good, and then self-control. Like, huh, that's kind of a buzzkill. Like, how does self-control relate to power and love? Like, you know, what is the meaning of this spirit that Paul is, is calling Timothy to fan into flame and inside himself. I think what it is, is if we read on further in the letter, that these characteristics are exactly opposite to a lot of these opponents that Timothy is facing. Like at first, in, in, we see in verse t- in 7, it's not a spirit of fear, but of power. So like in Timothy's situation of being one guy faced with all of this stuff um, that he's confronted with, then it would be the natural... Um, response for him to be fearful and feel inadequate in front of it. However, the opposite of that, Paul is calling Timothy to have one of power. And then when we look in 2.14, another of the, ma- the big situations in this letter is that there are lots of people stirring up controversies and starting arguments with each other, and it is causing them to tear each other apart rather than build each other up. And so the opposite of this here is love, that Paul is calling Timothy um, to an attitude of love rather than the, the divisiveness that is around him. And third, in self-control, and if we read on chapter 3, that another thing, Paul, that will end up instructing Timothy is that there are all these ways of culture um, and, and people of, of personal lusts that are easy to fall into and that are always pulling on us, pulling on our minds and pulling on our souls. And so the opposite of this would be self-control, a steadfastness, a standing firm, and an unwaveringness from the truth. So these attributes are very well pointed at Timothy's situation and what, what this is supposed to look like inside of him. And look down, and this is crucial to get uh, at the very end. He said, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Um, what does the spirit mean? And it can mean two things. It could be the Holy Spirit. And we know we see in verse 14 that Paul does have in mind the Holy Spirit. Um, that is by the Holy Spirit, Spirit that um, we do persevere and the work comes. So we know that's in Paul's mind. But at the same time, in here in verse 7, is that the Spirit is the opposite of one of fear. So it's also like Paul is calling Timothy to in his own spirit, like in his own emotional state, in his own mental state, 
that he have these attributes. And Paul, essentially, what this means is, he says, God gave us a spirit, not a fear, but a power and self-control. So what this is, is a gift from God. It's not something to just conjure up, or can be conjured up in somebody in their own right, but is actually a gift that God gives. And there's a connection here between the work of the Spirit in us, and the realities that He works in us, and then the realities, what that does in us, and that does in our own spirits, and it does in our own inward state. And that is, um, is you know, what the Spirit does, the Spirit, these are all attributes of the Spirit that He applies to us through the work of Christ. However, it's in confidence to these things, and that they are true, that, it, it, that those realities in us end up freeing up our hearts and letting us relax the burden of our own self-effort and the own, our own clinging to ourselves and desperation in whatever situation we're facing that we can allow these, the work of the Spirit to come through and to manifest itself um, so that our spirits end up matching the work of the Spirit that, um, in our state. It's kind of like this. So you know how athletes, let's say that uh, let's say it's a, a basketball team that will end up playing better if there's a superstar on the team already. It doesn't do anything. So like the ultimate goal and what's going to be achieved is like this guy's got it. I mean, he's the one who's doing all the work here. It's not on us. However, it's in knowledge of that that it gives this boost of confidence to everybody else on the team that they end up not feeling like this burden is on us. We're just following that guy wherever he goes. And so, and that just allows people, it frees them up so that they can just play without fear, uh, without fear of losing. Um, yeah, and that their play actually ends up matching and looking more like the superstar on their team. And what Paul is saying here is reminding Timothy that he's got these, this inward resource inside of him that the Spirit is working, that is not up to Timothy, that the Spirit goes with him. However, he's calling Timothy to remember that reality so that he can let go of his own work and start to look more like the reality that the Spirit is actually working. And what does that mean for us? Is this. That God gives us His Spirit, and this is the same Spirit that was involved in creation at the beginning of time, and is the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead that, that was given to us. The, work of the, the load of the work is not on us. It is the work of God that he gives us and that he is working out. That is a great resource. We were hearing a speaker one time saying that, you know, the same spirit who created the world and raised Christ from the dead can help me to love my spouse when it's difficult to love, when they are difficult to love. The Spirit is the gift of God, and Paul is reminding Timothy that he has this great resource of the Spirit inside of him, and that what he does is not up to him. He does not go alone, but he goes with the very Spirit of God. And it's in light of this that he is called to rekindle his own spirit inside of himself. And I hope you realize and feel this. We've kind of reached a problem, like given these two things. We say, yes, we have all of these outward resources, and we have this great inward resource of the Spirit. However, I think all of us know that 
or would say, but what if I don't see these qualities in my own life? Like, how do I get them? Like, does that mean that the Spirit is not inside of me and the Spirit is not working? You know, what do we do? I mean, there's, a, there's kind of a disconnect here in that these realities that have been, that, uh, that Paul is talking about and often the realities of our own lives. Like, what do we do in that situation? And that is, at the very end, this is the point that Paul hangs his entire argument on through the rest of this letter, and it comes in verse 1. He, he, Paul introduces himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. And this is not just a standard greeting that Paul gives. That This is kind of unique. Titus is a little bit similar, but Paul uniquely is hanging his letter to Timothy on this promise of life that will come in Jesus. And that's why I'm calling this upward resources. And what is this? Uh, he goes on... He, Paul talks about the resurrection in the following path and, and later on in the letter. But I, what I want to do, go to is go to 1 Corinthians 15 and read this passage that you, most of you probably know well, verses 50 to 58, where Paul is going to expound on this a little bit further. He says this, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this, imp- this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What that tells us in the first place that what Christ has done is he has taken away the consequences of our sin and all of this, arist- this resistance, the, in- the stuff that goes on around us and hardship, that he has removed the ultimate consequence, um, ultimately, that we would have to suffer. But he goes on from this in the second part. He also says, in this very mysterious way, he, he says that he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ and calls us to be steadfast and immovable now, knowing that your labor is not in vain. And this is one of the wonderful promises of Christ and what it means that, for, that Christ is alive now, that he is raised from the dead and that we are united to him, that in some way Christ has the last word on our lives and our situation is not us. That wherever we are, however bleak it may look, we know and we have this promise that rather than pulling us down and contributing to the crumbling of the brokenness of the world that we live in, that Christ mysteriously uses us and works us in to the redemption that he is bringing to all things. And that is something that we are a part of. And we get discouraged that we tend to do one of two things. On the one hand, we tend to think that the burden is all on us, Some of us will be in that category, and that leads us to despair. It leads us to um, 
feel very inadequate, that maybe we're not gifted enough. It might lead us to think that there's something wrong with us and that there's no hope uh, for us, that we are ruining ourselves and we are ruining the ones around us. But the promise of life in Jesus says that Jesus is already alive and that we already belong to him. That those things about us that we feel are weighing us down don't get to dictate those things about us. Only the life of Christ does. It's not our work. It is his work that's already been accomplished. And on the other hand, we might tend to do this. We might think the problem is God's lack of action in the world and that he is just not there and for whatever reason that he doesn't intervene and he doesn't come and help. But again, this work of Christ in his death and resurrection is the sign that we look to that he did intervene, he did come, and that though things might look futile to us and we might not see evidence in our immediate surroundings, we have this promise that he is alive right now, that he has already done the hard work, that this stuff around us is sure to end up in life just, just as much as he is alive right now. But that's the objective work then the benefits that Christ gives us, but it gets better than that, I think. And this, that Paul is saying that he was called to be an apostle and an ambassador of Jesus Christ by the will of God. This isn't just something that was made available that we could participate in impersonally. It's that Paul is saying that God pulled me out, and it was personal. Like he called Paul, and he called Timothy, and he calls us too. I think for me that... You know, if you're like me, that whenever the resistance comes and things are difficult, then it feels very personal to me against God. And I wonder where he is, I wonder why my life is so hard. And it's not just the difficulty, it's just like, what is God doing right now? Like, where is he? And it feels very, very personal. However, the promise in life of Jesus is saying that it is personal, but it's not like that. It's that God wanted us that not because of us, that even in our, our wallowing around in the mire, he said, I want you to be in life with me. And that's the promise of life that we have in Christ. It's this great upward resource that we have uh, in the resurrection that he has given us. And you know, ministry and perseverance on top of that, it becomes much less of an extra burden that we have to put on and we have to work out It's just living consistently that this is actually true. That if this is true of us, that we could let our hearts be free, that we could turn and that we could keep going. I pray tonight that this might be true of us. Because God has given us all these great resources that we can persevere even in the midst of heavy resistance. Let me pray for us. Father, we are weak people who are burdened by many, many things. And we often see that there's no hope and we, we often think that the only answer for us is to give up. Father, our hearts and our emotions often betray us and they speak to us louder than you do. But I pray that you would remind us of your work in us. I pray that you would remind us of the gospel, that you love us, and that it is your path that you have given us life through Jesus. I pray that through this that we would be spurred up and that we would be able to let go 
of the darkness and cling to you because you love us. In Christ's name, amen.